I've been asked to say a few words about my background because what I've prepared will make more sense if I do. <clears throat> I've been a violinist for 63 years. Um, I have taught violin at Peabody College, Vanderbilt University, the Univers University of Texas at Austin, Oberlin College, and currently at the Juilliard School in New York. Started teaching violin there in 87, became the dean in 94, and retired from that office in 2007. So I've been promoted to violin faculty in the last five years. Since 1967, longer ago than some of you have been alive, I've been teaching violin performance to young people at the college level who have thought they wanted to do this professionally. Why on earth would anyone want to do this? Some want to be famous, the next Itzhak Perlman, and win competitions and play recitals on the Carnegie Hall stage. Some want to be in a string quartet or an orchestra. Some just love music so much that they haven't thought about their career. They just want to play their music the best they can. Who do you think is the most fun to teach? I must also say that some end up playing jazz. <laughs> the teacher's job is to guide the way students spend their practice time, to free their playing from distractions, such as scratches, out-of-tune playing that sounds sour to listeners, erratic tempo changes that don't allow listeners to tap their feet, perfect note playing without heart. So, regardless of how advanced a player may perceive herself to be, we sometimes in lessons have to go back to the basic motions, lifting and dropping the fingers, drilling the exact placement of fingers through scales, arpeggios, shifting exercises, before dealing with the Tchaikovsky concerto, which she may already have played, by the way. In a different but similar vein, the TV camera always flashes to the coach at the US Open to see expressions of disapproval or elation as the game is being played. Regardless of how well a golfer or tennis professional may play, he values the coach and listens to every detail throughout his career. To outgrow the coach is to fall prey to some small distortion in the swing that upsets the balance and prevents the best results. Funny thing about us church people, once we sign on to the faith thing and go to church periodically or regularly, we regard that hour each week as sufficient practicing to be successful in a lifestyle that can be dangerous, limit our capacity to get ahead, and is radically out of favor with our, our culture. Imagine musicians, tennis players, or golfers who never practiced between concerts or tournaments. What are the odds that they wouldn't be invited back on the tour? Our culture surrounds us with messages of success and the means to achieve it, and how important it is to come out first. The way of the Bible 
is the opposite. Become a servant. Don't give in to the allure of possessions and exciting experiences. Give our time to causes that help the poor, that help the poor struggling earth, those in society who have no political voice. It may be counterintuitive to choose living this way, but as Christians, we claim to have already made this choice. Who are the coaches that help us map out the most productive journey through life, who comfort us when we've experienced or created a disaster, who prevent us from making snap judgments that come back to haunt us? Why, uh, I think their names are Jesus, Job, Paul, David, John, Peter, James, Daniel, and a host of others. They've written enough encouragement and teaching. They've created a course curriculum and marketing plan that will guide us into a life without regrets, with great satisfaction and joy, that will guide us to the highest earned degree in life that will fully reward us with the evaluation, well done, good and faithful servant. So my first bit of encouragement is for you to pay attention to the guidelines written by these coaches, available to us 24-7 in the Bible. Up your practice time in matters of the Spirit. Some people act as if their confirmation into the Episcopal Church is the goal, the final step in a journey of faith. I disagree. I've heard any number of people say that their neglect of the school of faith got them into painful trouble. Their way out was to go back to the basics of faith and realign their paradigm. The point of practicing music, sports, or faith is to prepare for the performance game, or life-disrupting event. One is secure playing the Tchaikovsky Concerto only after the player has institutionalized the distances between notes on the fingerboard after dozens of repetitious hours and has a secure memory of notes and rhythms. Athletes train to master the unexpected assaults of their opponent. We're not talking about knowing where to put the fingers or how to swing the arms. We're talking about repetition over and over to make the motion automatic so the player can't miss. The sequence of motions is built into the subconscious. Events of life that disrupt our comfort are likely to be similar to the athletic reality. Unexpected, or somebody out there is trying to mess us up. Sometimes situations develop gradually, such as sickness or the disintegrating behavior of a loved one, but often come suddenly and unexpectedly, not allowing time to find coping resources. That's why practicing our faith development before a disaster will fortify us to weather the emergency faithfully. Life doesn't always feel as good as it might this minute. Of course, there are other life coaches besides those in the Bible. 
your rector, Christian counselors, and spiritual directors, each of you for each other, who are also instrumental in helping us make important discoveries on our journey. Their teachers, teachers and sources, however, are the same coaches that we can access in the Bible. Spend more time with the Bible beyond hearing the scripture of the day spoken and perhaps preached about in the church service. The publication Forward Day by Day, available on the table in the back, is a resource that will take you through the Bible in two years. Ten minutes a day will probably whet your appetite for more. I do it every day on the train to New York. Join a Bible study group and question each other about what you read. That's a great way to understand more accurately and personally what the coaches in the Bible are teaching. If you're looking for a group, join me Wednesday mornings at 7, juniors in Grand Central Station. We have room for recruits. Come see me afterward. Secondly, I'm here today to encourage you to jumpstart your faith curriculum by giving more to the church. The Bible promises that when you give so much money that you must deprive yourself of something you otherwise could afford, your perception of reality will become more clear and your joy will increase. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Invest in the work of the church and God will be more present in your thinking throughout every day. Even if you don't understand how it works, that is how it works. Did you notice the collect at the beginning of the service? Take a look at the lectionary sheet and read quietly along with me, Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, so that we may obtain what you promise. Make us love what you command. It is our responsibility and privilege to find out what God commands. As James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Funny, he says, listen and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. For our own spiritual health, we need to give more than the church needs our money. Certainly God doesn't need our money. He owns the cattle on a, on a thousand hills. That was written at a time when wealth was calculated by the size of people's animal herds. And you certainly heard it today in the reading from Job about sheep and cattle and oxen and donkeys, lots of wealth Job had. We need to give more than the church needs our money. Some of your giving is not financial, I know. Let's don't forget that Jesus commended the widow for giving two co small copper coins rather than the rich people who gave a portion of their wealth. You give time to the work of the church. You give imagination and skill in solving problems that all institutions encounter. You cook or wash pots for
for fellowship events. You visit shut-ins and hospital-bound parishioners. You pray for peace, for the advancement of God's kingdom in the world, and for people who are suffering. Service in these ways and many others gives the satisfaction of serving God and his people. For several weeks, David and Angela and their team have made resources available in this time of stewardship, including a step chart of money amounts given to St. Stephen's during the current year. The number of people giving zero dollars a month all the way to 861 and more dollars a month is distributed over all the steps. Then if you turn the chart over, on the back are listed monthly salary amounts and how much 1% through 15% would be. Many of you have recently given careful, prayerful thought to how much you can give to St. Stephen's in the coming year as compared with what you gave in the current year. I encourage you to find where you are on the step chart and move to the next higher step regardless of what you've decided. Be reckless. Those coaches in the Bible promise that God is generous to cheerful givers. Test it out. Maybe you're already giving 10% a tithe of your income. If so, I'm sure you have experienced God's generosity in unexpected provision for needs that crop up. For all of us, after we increase our time spent with the coaches in the Bible, we'll understand that the great God, who knows each of us more intimately than we know ourselves, is prepared to shower blessings on those whose affections and actions are for God's kingdom. When the service and the benediction are finished, I'll stand up here, invite you to fill out a pledge card, and bring it forward to the altar as evidence of your trust in God and desire to fulfill his will in your life. Please seal the envelope so that the amount of your pledge is between you and God. Then proceed to the celebration luncheon in North Hall for your enjoyment and fellowship. And now let us pray. The Consecration Sunday prayer is on the yellow sheet. Gracious God, who gives and gives and gives to us again, hear our plea for one more gift, a generous spirit that we may find and use and return to you all that you have given, for you are the source and gift of life itself. Amen. Amen.